Hello, and welcome to episode seven featuring my friend and coach, Jeremy Lafreniere. Jeremy is a jiu-jitsu black belt under Hoist Gracie, an elementary school teacher, husband, father, business owner, martial artist, and a coach. The man wears many hats, but he has spent a lifetime in service to those around him. In this episode, we discuss his approach to that philosophy of service, the ebbs and flows of progress and training, competitions and fights, loyalty, integrity, a bit of jujitsu history, and of course, our steak recipes. This episode is brought to you by our good friends at Annadale Eye Care. Annadale Eye Care is your go-to locations for complete and professional optometry services. They are locally owned and operated and will see to your specific needs. So if you're in the DMV and you need glasses or contacts, don't go to one of those janky national chains in a mall. Go to Annandale Eye Care. I got my glasses there and I guarantee you won't be disappointed. All right, let's get on with the show. Warning, the Fight Philosophy podcast is not appropriate for children or safe for work. You might get fired or have to take your kids to therapy after this is done. Use some discretion. Here we go, Fight Philosophy episode number, number seven. seven. And I'd like to start this one off with a story about Jamal. We were at my homeboy Paul's birthday party last night. I think he turned like 100 or something like that. Here we go. And Jamal comes in there and he's wearing this hat with the bison on it. Now, anybody in the DMV area, better yet, in the whole world, knows that if you see a bison, you think about Howard University. Now, the significance of this story is that poor Jamal went to North Carolina A&T, and I just felt so sad for him that he can't even be proud of his university, that he wants to be a bison so bad <laughs> that he wore our hat. So I just want to, on this day, I'm going to make Jamal an honorary bison at least for the end of this episode. So there you go, Jamal. I would never be want to happy. be a bison. <laughs> Mic check one, two, and a place to be this Jamal. First of all, let's uh, get some clarification going on that. I had a minor league baseball hat on yesterday. With the bison. For the Buffalo Bisons. Our university. Because one of my favorite rappers is H-U. from Buffalo. Released a limited edition new era cap. So that's what I had on. Now, I love all HBCUs. It's all friendly robbery at the end of the day. But fuck y'all. Fuck Howard. <laughs> y'all some bougie, elitist motherfuckers. Y'all kiss my ass. Your homecoming will never be as great as A&T's. Here we go. So, because everybody wants to. You could come to Washington, D.C. That's cheating. Everybody yeah, yeah. comes to D.C. because it's because a good we're city. Great. We have people come from all over the world, come to little old Greensboro. To come party and have the time of their lives. Because ain't shit else to do. Nah. And now got, introducing you, our guest for yeah. the day. <laughs> Sorry. Got something for your ass later <laughs> on, Introducing our guest is uh, Jeremy Lefanier, the founder of Capital MMA and Elite Fitness. Um, Hoist Gracie, black belt professor level. Um, and I'll let you introduce yourself further if I miss anything. No, well... School teacher, elementary school teacher, father of three, uh, animal lover and owner, um, and yeah, good oh. son. So what else? All what else? All, all, yeah. all around great <laughs> I don't know guy. about that, but... <laughs> halfway but. decent. He's a halfway <laughs> decent, decent individual. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So um, obviously, um, everybody in this room is a member of Capital MMA. Um, so it was only natural to give the person whose office we stole and turned into a studio an invitation <laughs> onto the podcast so you can see what happened to his office. We appreciate you, brother. So, <laughs> My pleasure. So you've been doing um, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu for a very long time now. When did you get started? 1997. 
and it was an accident. So for a lot of people, they sought out Gracie Jiu-Jitsu at that time. People were seeking it out because the original UFCs had just happened and people, you know, their martial arts universe got turned upside down. Um, for me, it was a little bit different. I had been taking Aikido for years and I was enrolled in this Aikido studio. The One of the, the, the senior Aikido students, um, instructors, was traveling from West Hartford, Connecticut. I lived in Southington. West Hartford was fairly close. Um, from West Hartford, Connecticut to New York, um, Westchester, New York, about an hour and 15 minutes each way, twice a week. And after about six months, he decided to form his own jujitsu club um, that soon after became um, a network chapter of the Gracie Academy. So back then, Hoyce was, you know, fully involved in the Gracie Academy. And so uh, it was uh, network chapters that kind of popped up around uh, the one in Philadelphia and the one in New York were two of the originals. And um, so anyway, so but but again, that commute was was getting difficult for him. So he wanted and he wanted to to get additional training in. So I became his very first student, me and two other people who are black belts and still training. Greg Wood and Greg Hall. We were all there on day one. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so that was that was actually my very beginning. And again, I was doing it because I was enrolled in the Aikido uh, dojo and he asked me if I wanted to try this class. So I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll try it. So but then a funny thing happened. So about two weeks later, you know, I mean, I had been taking Aikido for years and, you know, me and my buddies in the backyard get into the wrestling matches and I was never <laughs> effective. <laughs> so, but then all of a sudden, two weeks of jujitsu, and I'm like, man, I'm manhandling people. And I'm like, what is going on? So then, and I had, I had taken various martial arts and, since I was 10 years old. So, and I'll, I'll get back to that um, a little later, but, um, but I had a little a martial arts crisis at this particular time. Mm-hmm. And I started to, to, to search out additional martial arts. I searched out a Kung Fu school, um, hybrid martial arts training center, um, just trying to, you know, figure things out. Like, you know, maybe I just was enrolled in the wrong martial art. Um, and what I found out was that Gracie Jiu Jitsu, the, the way that we train made for an, ex- it made you very effective in, in a, uh, a grappling or um, a self-defense situation. So, and now, um, when I began to add additional martial arts to the capital programs, um, it was always with this philosophy of, you know, like Muay Thai, when we're training Muay Thai, the way that we train striking and clinching, it's very similar to the way that we, when we were out there grappling, like you've got to do it, like you're going to learn the techniques, but then you got to put the gloves on and actually do it. The same thing with boxing, the same thing with wrestling, the same thing with judo. Like you've got to, when, when you're, when you slap hands, it's live. Now you can scale it forwards or backwards, you know, depending on who you're training with or injuries, etc. But when it's live, it's live. And, you know, in our situation, somebody's going to tap and somebody's going to say that they tapped out your opponent. So, I, so that philosophy started to manifest gotcha. um, in, in, you know, what I, what I began to look for. But, uh, but jujitsu stuck, and that's, that's my primary passion right now. So you did um, other martial arts before. You mentioned Aikido, and you probably did, and Kung Fu. 
Taekwondo, yep. maybe? Not well, yeah. uh, Kenpo Karate. So that was okay. the original martial arts. So I was about 10 years old. My parents enrolled me in the black belt program, which was a big thing back then. So you pay, I think my parents paid $3,000. Jesus Christ. Yeah, so you, you, got, you got kind of like filtered into a program that eventually you would get your black belt. Yeah. And then you went to another level and started paying yeah. tuition again. But um, but I'd been doing it for about four years, and I was two weeks away from my black belt test. And I knew I was going to get it, and that's when I quit. Because I did not feel, you know, one of the smaller kids in, in, uh, in school, you know, just, you know, I was not confident that I could handle myself in a martial situation. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. And so uh, two weeks, and I felt a, a, you know, just a feeling of embarrassment that, if I were call, to call myself a black belt mm-hmm. without really feeling that I could handle myself in a martial situation, that, you know, I, I didn't want to live with that, that feeling. So I quit two weeks before my black belt test, guaranteed to get it. Um, and then, uh, so then Aikido came along, you know, and I tried to dabble in, in martial art, other martial arts too, but Aikido came along and, and um, you know, it was... Uh, it was very philosophical and, you know, I, and, and fluid and the concept that through time that you would develop skill that would aid you in a, in a martial situation. And, um, but it never really manifested until I found jujitsu. And that's where this second crisis really came into play. The first one was two weeks before my black belt test uh, at 14 years old. And then the second one, um, you know, crushing people in the backyard after two weeks of jujitsu. So this whole new crisis, uh, uh, you know, materialized. And again, like I said, you know, I've been doing jujitsu ever since. Now, when you were doing these traditional arts, did the, like, did you guys use, what was it, kata? Like, when you were, when you were practice when I was, was in like when I was in the Kempo and the Kung Fu schools yes there was a lot of kata mm-hmm. and there were some uh, at the Kempo school some very low contact sparring mm-hmm. you know point sparring like you touch their head with with the back of your fist and you get a point but there's no real contact got it so um, so yeah and then uh, um, in the Aikido school not a lot of of kata just more like you know you're giving your opponent. The ability, so it's like, it's theoretical leverage. Okay. So as they strike you, um, they're giving you the leverage that you need to make the technique work a lot of times. Get it. Whereas in jujitsu, it's applied leverage. Like, you know, um, if you strike me, you're not giving me anything. You're pulling that punch right back and you're going to hit me with the opposite hand and and you're going to change your level and we're going to clinch and it's a fight, (laughs) you know? So it's a, it's a lot, it it was a lot different. Got it. So what has been your motivation to stick with, um, I won't even say just jujitsu, getting into martial arts in the whole, in the beginning, what has been your motivation to kind of seek out where you ended up right now and continue with jujitsu through these years? So there's been a lot of different motivations. Actually, when I moved to the Washington, D.C. area to take my original elementary school teaching position, I wanted to get a teaching position in Connecticut, but I had worked as a substitute teacher after graduating from UConn with a master's degree in education uh, for two years. And on my third year, I'm like, this is not working out. I'm going I'm to you know, broaden my, my search. And I landed a job in Alexandria. And 
when I did that, I was the one who was kind of the second in command at that at that uh, Gracie Jiu Jitsu Training um, Association, that network chapter. So, um, so anyway, it's a big loss for them because I would I would do a lot of the you know assistant coaching and helping out, which is where I made my relationship with Hoyce actually. Um, but when I moved here, um, those guys were like, man, you know, uh, I, uh, the, the network chapter that was in originally in the area, uh, went with a different coach. And so there was a little vacuum and they asked me to open up a small program here and I resisted. I didn't want to do it. Mm. I was like, no, I don't, I don't want that. Like, that's a lot of responsibility. It's a little scary. So, but after, you know, enough time i decided i was going to do it in the art room of the elementary school that i was teaching at at that time and literally i would push away tables crayons spilling onto the floor i would truck a dolly of mats because we couldn't use the gymnasium that was being used for the after school program i would truck a dolly of mats uh, from the gymnasium to the art room set them up and uh half the time nobody showed you know, mm-hmm. and the and when people did show, it was my friends kind of out of pity and sympathy for me because I kept telling them to come on in and try this. And so they would on occasion. Uh, I started putting some flyers up on the doors because I really I invested in this in this idea of teaching these classes. And I wanted to have a couple of training partners, put some flyers on the door. I created a little website, um, put a, a small, you know, ad in yellow pages at that time because the internet wasn't it's what it is now yeah and so soon after we had about six people training regularly in that art room of the elementary school um and of those six jay ferrari one of our black belts is still with me he joined it was february of 2002 i believe was when he joined and that's when we started to get a little momentum uh, we left that elementary school, and so we opened up in the garage. A gentleman named Mike Enright. We were training in his garage for a summer, and then the T.C. Williams uh, wrestling mats. And then at the new elementary school, we got a new little area, and I had mats that I purchased in my classroom, rolled them out, set them up. Um, by about 2003, uh, it was large enough to where I was getting a little nervous. You know, you have 25 people sometimes with MMA gloves, in, in the hallways of the elementary school. And I'm like, man, this is, this is a little scary. Yeah. You know, like what if somebody gets injured? Like, I don't want to put my elementary gig on the line because somebody's getting injured with MMA gloves. So that's when we rented uh, space, which became the blue room. And uh, some, I know, I think you were, mm-hmm. and you were. I came, right at, I came right at the tail end when you guys came over to, came over here. Came over here. Yep. Okay. Okay, and we're going back a lot of years, but the Blue Room, second floor of Jungle's Gym, um, in the way back, uh, and I tell you, people would show up to the front desk of Jungle's Gym, and people would, uh, the, 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 desk, the front desk staff there would not know where we were, and so it was really, really a strange time, uh, but, you know, we, we did create a bunch of momentum for ourselves in that Blue Room, and then we knocked down a wall, expanded a little bit. And uh, anyway, so the motivation um, after to go, to go back to that was first, it was um, I was compelled by my professors to, to do something right. 
Um, I still love jujitsu, but the idea of doing, if, of building this myself. Then um, it was training partners and just doing what I loved, you know. But why am I still doing jujitsu after 21 years? Um, I tell you, um, I'm still very passionate about this. I'm still completely in love with this. And uh, right now, um, the two reasons why is because, number one, every day I get onto the mat, I play. And it's, it's such a, a, a release, you know, you slap hands with your training partner and you play and, uh, and, and you get your exercise in, but it works your brain and, um, and you're kind of working on your technique. It's like, it's very compelling for me. Um, and so after all these years, uh, you know, I, I walk onto the mat and I play. And the second reason is after all these years, I'm still learning 21 years. I haven't learned you know, the entirety of the secret scroll, you know, that's written on some, you know, temple. No, it's like, it is infinite. The way I think about jujitsu, it's like, you can get your feet wet in the pool, but when you get to the deep end, it's, there is no bottom to this pool. It is infinite. You can keep going down. So it's just what you want to do. How, you know, how far you want to take it. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So, when we look around and like at the the atmosphere of jujitsu, like the various schools and everything that there are, there are a lot of schools, very good schools, um, and the uh, the owners, the the leadership of the school, their their background or their basis is through their competition. You know, world champion competitors, um, different levels, and so you you don't have that background. Um, I wouldn't, I mean, obviously you're not competitive because I know you and I know you're competitive, but it's, it's different. And we've talked about that offline before. Um, but the, the big thing that you see is, you know, like I said, th- these guys are, are some of them world champions. Some of them have just been competing in the scene for a while and now they open the school and that's their credibility. And you're coming in as an elementary school teacher who has a lot of experience and of great lineage through uh, Hoyce Gracie. But without that, you know, that competition uh, or the the jujitsu competition credibility with air quotes there. Do you feel like your background as a teacher helps you with your coaching or, you know, is there any play there between you not necessarily competing and having a different perspective? What do you how do you feel about that? Well, so, you know, first of all, what what is a competition mindset? Capital has six schools. Um, you know, like I am very passionate. I roll with everybody. There's not a single person that I don't roll with. Uh, you know, even people who visit the school, like I'm not, you know, it's, it's, uh, so what, you know, am I, am I compelled to go out there and compete in a tournament? Like it doesn't do a lot for me personally. Um, so I kind of follow my passion, which is getting in here, teaching, training, having fun, building a community. Like this is where I like to spend my energy. Um, and it's not that I have never done tournaments. I've done several tournaments. It's just that when I go for some people, they, they win or lose a tournament. And it's a very meaningful experience for them. For me, it's not really a meaningful experience. My meaningful experiences happen here, you know, or building relationships, making friends, having fun. Um, and as far as my elementary school, teaching experience, the feedback that I've gotten is that, coach, you have an uncanny ability of breaking things down, okay? 
And um, so, you know, that has nothing to do with the with the, uh, the the competitive mindset of getting out there and doing a jiu-jitsu tournament, kind of a different um, thing. But what I what gives me a gratification is when I see a student, when I see the light bulb go off. And because, and if, and if I was able to break something down and make it super concrete and that light bulb goes off or they get excited about a, a jujitsu technique or a jujitsu concept to me, it's, it's extremely meaningful to me. I, I, um, I really, really enjoy that. So, and that's kind of what, you know, so I want to pursue my passions. People have said, man, why don't you compete more often? Um, I will never say I won't. I'm not, I'm never going to say that I won't ever compete again. No. It's just that if I do compete again, it's because I want to compete. Yeah. Um, however, if I got a student who wants to compete, I'm going to completely support them. Yeah. Because that's kind of how I'm wired. You know, like I want to support people. Like that's part of my journey is when people want to do something, I want to enable that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually why we we opened up a satellite, the very first satellite. One of the students moved away. He wanted to uh, to to it would, the commute was way too far, so we we I enabled him to open up a satellite program under the Capitol flag. When Jay Ferrari, he had kids. Uh, he was coming from Tacoma Park at, to Alexandria, and that was his commute to do jiu-jitsu classes for years and years. And eventually, he's like, Coach, I got kids now. It's really hard for me. So I wanted to enable him to kind of, you know, build a program in his local area. And so that's really why a lot of these resources exist today. Yeah. Muay Thai. Why does the Muay Thai program exist? Because a segment of the jiu-jitsu population wanted to start doing MMA. And we needed a striking program. And so that's what we did. We created the striking program. Not because I was drawn to to do striking classes, but because I wanted to um, kind of give the students interested in MMA an opportunity to, to kind of, you know, pursue that at a high level. And so we brought in striking coaches. So. I think you're super competitive in your analysis of things and in your initial support of things. I think that's where your competition beam like really shines. And the reason that I say that is because, you know, like you just like you just stated, these resources that have been put in place, especially the opening of satellite locations, is because of your support of of your students here. Um and it's it's just like you take, uh, you know, like to 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 go to a like an NBA analogy or what or whatever. You could take Michael Jordan and you could say he's arguably the greatest player of his era, but you put him in a management position for the Charlotte Bobcats and he failed. He sucked, but he was an elite athlete. But that doesn't that that doesn't necessarily translate over to being analytical about your sport or knowing knowing shit about your sport period and i think that anybody who will try to use that as a crutch will say oh well you don't compete much fuck them (laughs) (laughs) oh i agree and and, you know and again you know like okay so i don't compete much Mm -hmm. but right now i'm sitting in a room where people have competed Mm -hmm. i mean chad's (laughs) you've competed at an extremely high level i mean we had to have a conversation which was um were you going to go pro you know, and become really reflective about what that would mean for your for your lifestyle. 
And so because you had just beaten Colton Smith, who then went on to be, um, you know, um, which season of tough was that? I think it was like but he won. He won fifteen. He won like fifteen or sixteen. He won the season tough. Like you know, you he lost his first match to you. Yeah, you know. So I, you know, so I don't compete. But do people at Capital compete? Sure. You know, and a lot of those people I personally coach or have coached. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I'd have to say that taking uh, two different perspectives. So not even two, 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 two of my outlooks on is that. Now that I am in a in a position where I'm coaching more than I'm competing myself and I travel and when every time I travel I want to stop at a school and and take a class. And I have to say of all of the instructors that I've trained under or or have taken a class under or a seminar, um, not to stroke your ego, but you are I would consider top three instructors because for me it has nothing to do with what techniques you're teaching absolutely because anybody can show any cool technique but can you instruct that technique and can you break it down so that at day one white belt someone who doesn't know you can leave out that room and do that technique and it takes a certain level of being able Okay, we're going to take a quick break from the fun to bring you a word from another one of our awesome sponsors, Spark Physiotherapy. Spark is the location in the DMV for all things physiotherapy and strength and conditioning. They are the next generation of physical therapy and will take the time to diagnose and treat the specific cause of your pain. I've been treated there, half my training partners have been treated there, and we keep coming back. We keep coming back because Carlos and team are sports pain gurus and get us back on the mats we love so much. It works, y'all. Check out their website, sparkphysio.com, their socials, and their YouTube channel, and the difference will be immediately apparent. Also, Carlos is running a special for all you awesome listeners out there. He is offering 10% off a comprehensive combat sports mobility evaluation. I've undergone this exam myself, a few of the folks I train with have, and it enabled me to focus on my many, but specific, mobility deficiencies. It's worth every penny. Okie dokie. That's it for now. Back to the show. To analyze that technique and chop it into pieces so that people can digest that technique, um, that makes a big difference. So it's not necessarily that the, the competition, and not to knock coaches who 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 did who are found there get their credibility off of the competition, because like I said, a lot of them are, are great. I'm not knocking them. I'm just saying that there is another side of it which is being able to instruct. You can be a great athlete and be an awful teacher. Yep. You can be someone who is not necessarily a competitor and not necessarily the best athlete, but a great teacher. Um, so you have both sides of that. We've also had, you know, coming through here and my own experience outside of here with coaches, quote unquote coaches, because they sucked as coaches, <laughs> who, who, uh, who, are still pursuing their own competition dreams and their own, you know, Muay Thai. And, and I had a wrestling coach who was pretty awful because he's still living on his dreams of competition and doing his own thing. And it it takes, you have to be pretty, you have to be very selfish to be a competitor, especially in the fight game. You have to be very unselfish to be a coach. Mm -hmm. And it's very, very hard to do both. I can't, I can't commit the time to my students to give them what they need when I'm training for anything, let alone especially a fight. 
Now you go in there fighting. You don't want to get injured. You want to do your best. You want to look good. And there's there's consequences to losing. Like and they can be pretty serious. So you you take it you take it very seriously. And that takes time away from your students. So if you are set on being a great coach, you have to you have to go with that. It's, it's you can't really say, oh, I'm going to compete and do what I want to do yeah. and still run my shit. Like your your students will suffer. They might they might be silly enough to still give you their money because they want to live under your name, um, but they might suffer. Now there are exceptions to rule. I know Andre Gaval, he still competes and he's a great instructor. He also has a great support staff for when he is yeah, training. He's got resources. So, he's got yeah. resources in place to allow yeah. that, to allow that yeah. to happen. And you know, and also going back to this that concept of resources, Capital's got six locations now. Mm-hmm. I am not instructing every class, and I am not instructing every person. Mm-hmm. You know, like, we've built a whole just, you know, this gigantic, you know, mountain of resources. And, right, I mean, I walk in here on a Sunday to do this podcast, um, and what's happening inside of, of the, uh, on the mat, you know, in the MMA room. Man, you know, you've got a dozen people. Super high-level athletes. One lion fight North American champion is out there, and they are doing work. And they're helping each other. You know, I mean, Amin is walking around, and he is helping other people improve and get better. Yep. And uh, so, and Heather, you know, pro MMA fighter, she's out there. It's just like, it's great. You know, it's like, it's not me. And it's, it's never been about me. Um, you know, you talk about, like, my hard wiring, you know, like, mm-hmm. my competitive. And, and, and you're right, like... I, I always wanted to be to, to develop a community that I wanted to be a part of. Yeah, you know, and something that was sustainable. So even when I'm 70, it's not just a bunch of young guys trying to murder each other. But like some, you know, when I'm 70, I still want to be a part of the MMA tribe or the Capital MMA tribe. Yeah. So. So I know, and we've talked a lot about this also throughout the years. You see ebbs and flows, and different things come in to jujitsu and out of jujitsu. Um, different techniques you like to call them flavors of the month and and just different trends and things that you've noticed what is one of the big bigger things that you have noticed throughout the years of changes in jiu-jitsu and the culture and the training or what have you well so when i began jiu-jitsu in 1997 there was a very heavy emphasis on self-defense and even the founders you know who founded the ufc the Gracie family, in part, founded the UFC. Jorge and Gracie founded the UFC. And what was their motivation? To prove that they had the best grappling art in the world? No. It was to prove that they had the best self-defense art in the world. That was the motivation. You know, they had the cha- the famous challenge matches in their garage, you know, $100,000 if you come in and, and, and win. So, because they wanted to prove to the world they had the best self-defense art. So, um, so anyway, but then you dial forward. And one of the big, big trends that happened um, was, and, and, and at that time too, by the way, I mean, we were throwing on leg attacks. We were throwing on, uh, you know, um, spinal manipulation, neck cranks. Like we would all do this. Like there was, you know, there wasn't all the rules or all of the stigma that's associated with certain things that you see now. Um, but anyway, you put it forward. The big first, like I think moment was, when all of a sudden everybody started taking off their geese. Nobody wanted to do gi jiu-jitsu anymore. No gi was it, you know? And a lot of schools, like, 
super heavy emphasis on no-gi jiu-jitsu. Um, so that was one of the big first trends that I noticed. Like, wow, everybody's taking off the gi. Like, if you're wearing the gi, like, you know, it, it was not the flavor at that moment, <laughs> you know? And now that's completely reversed. Now everybody's putting on the gi. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a recent uh, YouTube video that I didn't watch the whole video, but he's like, man, you should be wearing the gi and the rash guard. You know, like it, it was this, you know. So again, the whole thing has changed in the last decade. Uh, leg attacks. So we were using leg attacks and then people stopped using leg attacks. And now leg attacks is the biggest thing. Yeah. Everybody's yeah. using leg attacks. Mm-hmm. So very interesting. Another change uh, that happened. Uh, the rules, um, you know, before Naga, I mean, before Naga or Kip Kohler ever even did a jiu-jitsu tournament, I was, I sparred with him. Actually, Kip Kohler gave me my very first jiu-jitsu injury. So <laughs> we slapped hands. He was a blue belt. I was a white belt. And he bulldozed me and I just kind of rolled over my big toe. And it was like, that was my first jiu-jitsu injury. <laughs> and then he started putting on, uh, on jiu-jitsu tournaments. Um, and so the jiu-jitsu tournaments themselves and to see the evolution of the rules within the tournaments to the point where um, I've got a uh, sorry a uh, Google review right now. You can go to uh, the Alexandria location, scroll down a few reviews. And about six months ago, a girl walks in. I taught a, a basic self-defense technique where if you grab my shoulders or my neck from behind and then I grab kind of the meat behind your thumbs. I step and I do the wrist lock. And she criticized me openly on the mat that day. She was a senior white belt from another school. (laughs) She says, there's no wrist locks at this level in jujitsu. It's unsafe. I'm like, well, this is like, you know, Elio and, you know, Elio's uh, self-defense technique, you know. And uh, and then she wrote a review saying that's why she didn't choose our school was because I was teaching wrist locks. Can we pause on that senior white belt? (laughs) (laughs) But actually, that's the funny thing. Like, there's, you know, I'll never forget this. You know, there's so many people throughout the history of Capital who have come to me after about a year or two and uh, I guess about that two year mark where all of a sudden, you know, they're having a, a kind of a crisis. Um, where jiu-jitsu isn't their happy place anymore, and they become nostalgic for when they started. And they'll start telling me these stories of nostalgia. But the funny thing is, like, I'm sitting in a room full of people right now. I mean, you know, when did you start? 2008. 2008. Yeah. Started here 2008. Started My first jiu-jitsu experience was 2007 at another gym, and then came here 2008. When did you start? 2011. 2011. Mm-hmm. It's like that, you know, that... You can, you know, you can go back as far as you want. You know, I can go back with Jay Ferrari to the original art room of the elementary school and think nostalgically about what was going on. But the funny thing is, you, and you know, just just to talk about that that senior white belt or that new blue belt, and it's there's oftentimes, and you talk about trends, they take the trend that is in jujitsu now and. That is their entire jujitsu universe, mm-hmm. you know, and they have nostalgia for it or what their coach said, like this girl's coach was probably talking to previous coaches, talking to her about IBJJF rules and how wrist locks are not mm-hmm. legal and we're not going to do that at this level. And they apply that, that, um, you know, that perspective. And they think that that is what jujitsu is. And, but then you, you know, again, you talk to somebody who's been doing it for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, or my teachers who've been doing it for 50 years. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, and then my perspective is not as deep as theirs. Yeah, yeah. 
It's amazing. Yeah. I like to think about how, you know, if for me, if you want to do jujitsu, if you're training jujitsu, you just have to be a student. And it's really, yep. I guess, anything that you're passionate about. Yep. If, if you're truly passionate about, if it's engineering, if it's architecture, you know, you just have to be a student. And you can't always pick and choose exactly what you want to train. And you can't take, oh, one teacher told me this and now um, you're telling me to do a different which way is right. I think I'm going to go with my old teachers. You don't know what you're talking about. Like you, you're still learning and you're, and you're perpetually learning. In that moment where you start to decide or, or think you're deciding what's right and what's wrong and what you need to learn and what you don't need to learn is the moment where you're losing your jujitsu because you're no longer being a good student. You are, and it's okay to focus on things. It's okay to say, hey, I'm doing a tournament and this is my game plan and I want to focus on this for that tournament. But you, you still need to, you know, at times step back and say, I'm a student. I was reading through Instagram uh, today, actually, and Muhammad Ali, uh, the jiu-jitsu practitioner, um, was at PANS, and he lost his match, I think, in quarterfinals. And he posted on there, he's like, you know, I need to step back and look at some of these positions that I didn't know how to get out of. He was stuck in, I think, a lapel guard or something like that. He's stuck in it. And you think a world-level, you know, a world champion knows all of this stuff, and he is that much of a student where he's able to post on Instagram is like I was stuck and I didn't know how to get out. So I need to go go back and learn things. Being that self aware helps yeah. though. Because yeah. I think where a lot of a lot of judicial students run into issues is that they can't separate the the specialized segment from the whole aspect of their journey. They get like Jeremy said, you get too focused on this on this one thing. Uh whether it's a trend or whether you compete a lot and you have a your game is set up a certain way, you want to continue mm-hmm. to you want to continue to attack that way because you found success there. But things are going to eventually stop you. They're gonna they're gonna catch you, and you might have and you're gonna have to step back and not necessarily rethink your journey, but start back start back at the beginning and be like, hey, you know, why did I get into this thing in the first place? It's because I wanted to learn this art as a as a whole and not necessarily be stuck in this, in this, in this one segment here. And, you know, I, when I talk about this concept, I talk about the beginner's mind, which is the beginner's mind or Sanchin is this concept that I really, you know, I've always loved, which is just to always be curious. You know, I mean, when I'm teaching the elementary school kids and I'm teaching them the magic of science, you know, the concept behind science is inquiry. Always be curious. Always be learning. I talked about that today. 21 years. What's one of the two reasons why I'm sticking with jujitsu? I'm still addicted because I'm always learning. I love the concept of always learning. Um, And actually, I have a real-life story about one of our competitors who I was cornering recently, Heather Walker-Leahy, who's one of your guests. So we went up to Pennsylvania for her uh, last professional MMA fight. And, um, you know, so me and and Rafferty Kelly are in her corner. And uh, she takes the first-round victory. But that girl who she was fighting was a tough girl. There was a couple moments where Heather was overwhelmed by how just how tough this girl was. And so we're, but still first round victory, you know? So what happens? We're walking from the cage back to the locker room and she's critical of herself. Mm -hmm. She's already thinking about what she needs to work on. It was amazing. 
that beginner's mind. And I've been in the corner of other athletes where all they cared about was winning. Mm -hmm. They didn't care about learning. So, and, um, and they never went very far, you know? So that beginner's mind, I think also will take you far. So that's a, that's an kind of an excellent. Yeah. And now subject. I'm curious. So we've had, I mean, we have thousands of students who have come in and out hundreds in and out of these doors. Um, some compete, some don't jujitsu, Muay Thai, MMA. And I guess if you measure the success and wins and losses, you have some students who have been very successful, some students who have not been very successful. Um, what similarities would you say that you have seen of these students with the ones who are not only the ones who have been successful, meaning more wins than losses, but the students who might have more losses than wins, but stick to it? Okay. I, yeah. So first of all, you've got talent. And then you've got hard work, right? A work ethic. Um, you know, I get excited about a person with a hard, with with, a, with an excellent work ethic much more than a person with talent. So somebody walks in the door with talent. Um, somebody walks in the door with a work ethic. If they only have one, then the work ethic for me wins every day. Okay. Um, but of course, if you have a talented person with an extreme work ethic, they might go pretty far. You know, and, and, and they might do exceptional things. Um, but again, some people, if they're, you know, you get a guy, he's training three days a week, one hour each time, and he goes and he does a tournament. And, you know, he wasn't exceptionally talented, but he has a passion for jujitsu and he doesn't do super well, but he's resilient. He learns from his mistakes and comes back and we continue, we continue building him as an athlete, right? And that makes me super proud and super excited. Um, whereas that talented athlete who just goes out there and wins and gets excited about the win, but then does not, sh you know, show that they're, they're capable of learning from mistakes or even assessing that there were mistakes mm -hmm. in their performance, not super exciting for yeah. me. Um, so, but, uh, you know, as far as one pattern that I have, picked up with the talented, hardworking athletes is this idea. And, and, um, and I'll, you're, a, you've got a wrestling background, right? Um, I had the captain of the Penn state team, uh, as a student, I've had the captain of the Buffalo state team as a student. Um, we had uh, one of our, he came to us as a, as a purple belt, but, uh, he had trained at the Olympic wrestling training center and all three of these guys, guess what they always went to after they had been at Capitol for a period of time. Guess what you feared? You didn't fear their top pressure. You didn't fear their cross mount mm. or their takedown. You feared their guard. Hmm. All of them. You feared their guard. Why? Because that's the first first weakness that they that yeah. they that they found, and then they yeah. attacked it yeah. right away, and then they became excellent guard players. Yeah, yeah. You see, yeah, it was amazing. So that was one pattern that I did pick up on uh, early on when it came to the talented, hardworking athlete which was that they began to attack their weaknesses. And it goes right back to the conversation point before that, which was a beginner's mind. Yeah. Attacking your weaknesses. I know. So when I'm coaching my classes or students, private lessons or whatever, one of the above all of the technique that I, that I teach, one of the things that I try to um, 
exude, instruct, and teach, whatever, is if you have a passion for something, you put in the work to make your desired outcome happen. If you want to do well on a test, you study hard for the test. You don't complain about how much time you have, how much little time you have, how tired you are. You you make it happen. If there's something that you want, then you you make the sacrifice to make it happen. So I and I I go about that a little bit, you know, harder nose than most people. And I, I don't push all of my students to to go at things that hard, but just to have that mindset of, you know, if you just like the example we just had, if your guard sucks and you want to improve, then you need to put in the time to work on your guard. If you, you know, if you're looking to get a promotion at your job, I actually had this little uh, one of my kids come in and he was upset that his mother wasn't allowing him to uh, sign up for one of the AP classes. Why he's upset about not signing up for AP class, I don't know. <laughs> but my, my everybody's but, not a dumb oak like you. <laughs> hey, hey, some, hey, hey, some, hey, some people value these are for degrees, okay. baby. These are for degrees. <laughs> so I was telling him, it's like, man, if you want your mom to have confidence in you, you just need to put in the extra work and show her that you can do the work, and then she can have the confidence in you to put you in that program. So that's what I try to to teach over and beyond the, the the techniques I teach. Is there anything you know concepts? Um, that you try to uh, give to your students beyond the techniques that you have? Jiu-Jitsu is not just about techniques. There are strategies involved in Jiu-Jitsu. There's the mental game. There's so much more than just the techniques. But, um, but you were talking about something that comes up a lot, which is I ask people around the new year or um, you know, sort of leading up to the belt promotion seminars and ceremonies, I might ask about what is your goal? What are your goals? Like I bring that subject up on occasion um, when I'm when I'm talking to students or I'm talking to the whole group class. And the most commonly stated goal is I want to get my blue belt. Okay. So I can quit. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's a different subject. But that that statement, that goal statement. And then I do my very best to retrain their brain because that is the worst goal that you can have. All right, y'all, Abe again, giving you one more quick break from the banter to clue you in on the awesome Comfort One Shoes. Comfort One Shoes has 17 locations across the DMV, and much like our other sponsors, they are truly the experts in their field. They have a full line of sports, casual, and dress shoes for both women and men. And for all of you wonderful people out there listening in the DMV, Comfort One has been kind enough to extend us a discount. All you got to do is mention the super double top secret code FIGHT10 at the register, and boom, 10% off your total of regular priced items. If you prefer to shop online at comfortoneshoes.com and enter FIGHT10, that's FIGHT10 at checkout, you will also receive that same 10% discount. Again, there are 17 locations all around the DMV. If you live here, you're never too far from one. If you don't live here, use the fucking internet. Whatever you do, give them and the rest of our sponsors your business. They'll do right by you, I promise. All right, that's enough of me. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to Jamal, Jeremy, and Chad. Why? And it's very confusing. Why is getting my blue belt a terrible goal? Because you are your goal is based on my decision. It's based on what I do. You have no... You know, there's, you're not basing your goal on the things that you're doing. You're basing your goal on the things that I'm doing, right? So how would we rephrase kind of like your, your intention into, into a goal that makes more sense? Kind of like what you were saying about, about that child and, you know, and his mom. What are you doing? Take the blue belt out of the picture. 
What is your training schedule? How often are you on the mat? How often do you study jujitsu? You know, um, you know, what's your diet like? You know, what's your uh, mental prep like? Like, what are you doing? And, and, and how do you, and are you doing it every week? Do you have a schedule, a consistent schedule? Now, of course, all those things will get you to, to the blue belt. But all those things are actionable items on your part. And that is the goal. Yeah. And so you've got to make your goals about actionable items that you can take. And you don't want to, like we've had one of our athletes recently um, thinking about the fight, you know, like he's, he's kind of game planning his year of fights and he's like really excited, not about the fight that's coming up, but about a fight that's going to happen after that fight that's coming up. And it's like, Hey, let's also make the goals about things that are time sensitive. Yeah. Forget about everything outside of the fight that's coming up. So what are your actionable items? You know, what's, what, you know, what, what are you doing to make success in that cage happen for the fight that's coming up right now? Yeah. Man, it's a, it's a, it's crazy how much responsibility you take on as a coach. And then you start, you open up your gym and then you're a coach and a business owner uh, representing this brand. And then you representing a, a, a larger network. I know for, for myself, I felt like when I was just a student, I can't say it was necessarily more fun, but I felt like this, I was only responsible for myself, basically, is, yeah. is the best way to think about it. And then you start coaching some classes and like, all right, now I need to look up some stuff on YouTube every now and then mm -hmm. um, so that I have something to teach. And then you become a, a, a owner or you start, you know, you, you step up in that responsibility level and... You have those days. I never don't want to do jujitsu, but you definitely have those days of like, damn, I don't want to go into the gym right now. I never felt like that as a student. Like I always wanted to go to the gym. And now there's definitely those days. It's like, I, I just want to stay on the couch. Now, once I get there, I'm energized. I'm ready to go. I love it. But it, it took a little bit of effort for me to get there. Do you do you feel that same way? Anything changes between when you started doing jujitsu, just being a student to to where you are now representing, you know, this brand, six different locations? locations, Hoist Gracie, Jiu-Jitsu Network, and everything? So, um, I, for me, you know, one thing that kind of detracts from my excitement or my enthusiasm is when we were talking about that particular kind of student who wants to tell you how you should coach, you know, and wants or has a vision for what the ideal coach is. Once I start, you know, and uh, in those little pockets, they kind of bubble up every now and then, like this little pocket of people who have decided that um, your coaching is, you know, leave something to be desired. Right. And when that happens and the energy in that room from that pocket changes, that's when I stop enjoying it. Mm hmm. That's when I don't like it. You know, I don't want to roll with those people. I don't want them in my room. You know, like for me, it, it becomes different. Now, that's not to say that when people have interests outside of what I'm teaching, that's a completely different subject. Mm -hmm. Like, whoa, this guy, man, he, I mean, he is working on an omoplata system. It's so awesome. I want to start learning from that guy. 
You know, like he's my student, but he's also my teacher. I love it. Like his passion. Oh man, this guy, he just got, you know, and we've got one of one of our guys, Doug, you know, I mean, he got the whole Dan Harris system and he's studying leg locks like crazy. And, and he's got this real like, like passion for this particular aspect of the game. Man, you're my teacher right now. Like, mm-hmm. you know, because that vibe isn't there. It's not that he has, has changed. Um, he's using that as mental leverage to talk about how my coaching or the community or something about capital is flawed. She's exploring a passion mm-hmm. and I'm totally behind that. But once that person's energy becomes, ah, the program, you know, or the coaching or, it, you know, and it doesn't have to be towards me. It could be towards one of the other coaches at Capital or one of the locations. That happened recently where one girl moved from one location and then to another location. And, um, she was, she had particular biting comments about the other location and it really bothered me. You know, it's like, to me, this is one school. Mm-hmm. This isn't yeah. Yeah. school schools. Like this is one school, right. In six different locations. So when I feel that energy and again, it doesn't have to be directed towards me just when it happens, that's when I lose my motivation. Um, but opposite also happens when I feel like, wow, and I could be surrounded by a room of white belts who, you know, like, you know, who are learning the, the most basic position in jujitsu for the first time. But when I feel that energy and they, they, they want to be there, they have that beginner's mind. Um, I just, it lights me up and it just, it doesn't just light me up here. It lights me up in the elementary school classroom. I got a room full of kindergartners and, you know, I just got a Van de Graaff generation, a generator and they, they see the electric spark, you know, in, in a, in a dimly lit room and they get all excited. And I'm like, man, that is so much fun for me. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's dope. It's, it definitely is like you get that every now and then you get that negative person or that person who's just not in the right mindset, we'll call it, and they can just fucking zap the energy. They do. But then it's the struggle is not letting that affect your positive students. That's that's what my struggle becomes. And and not letting it affect you. Yeah. So I've had conversations with one of our coaches because uh, she gets real when, when this kind of thing happens, she gets so bent, you know, and jaded not not recent history but you know pre-recent history and jaded so that's another thing like when this when a situation happens where you do get a student who uh leaves or speaking speaking poorly about you because it will happen Mm -hmm. and i don't care who you are i have people enrolled at capital who speak very poorly about their person about their coaches from other local jujitsu schools right so it, it happens in every direction um, and, but, um, but anyway, when, 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 um, that happens to you and you've invested in this person, you might even think that they were a friend, you know, like, man, I really like this person. I really thought they were a friend and it really can bother you, but you can't let it jade you yeah. because for every one person that this, ex- that, that, that this might, you know, that, that you might, um, that might make this happen in your direction. You've got a whole tribe of people. It's easy to focus on that. It's easy to focus on this one person, but you've got an entire tribe of people who are not like that. Yeah. I mean, it's just like basically that overall mindset of choosing to be more positive than negative. People will have a, 
they'll have something happen to them in their day. They catch a flat tire or they, you know, forget their umbrella. So they get wet for a little bit and you're wet for 15 minutes. You go to work, you dry off, you have a reasonably good day at work, but you keep focusing in on the fact that you had that flat tire or whatever. You know, you had 24 hours. They were good. 23 hours and 45 minutes. They were good and 15 minutes were bad. Yet you had a bad day. So having to choose to make things positive is is hard at first, but then it becomes, you know, easier and necessary and it makes life in general better. Don't you, fo- you focus on your last podcast, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. So there's so many people in, you know, that I that I experience in life who have a victim mindset. And even on social media, like you see all these all these people just with these terrible mindsets, these victim mindsets, or when they're not being the victim, they're snubbing somebody. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Like, oh, just learning to walk away and feeling good about my, you know, like learning yeah. to walk away or putting the garbage behind me. And, you know, really, it's a passive aggressive comment about somebody that was just in their life that pissed them off. Yeah. You know, and it's like, that's what yeah. they're focusing on. Even though they're talking about moving on, yeah. they're really they're focusing on the on bullshit that. Yeah. that just happened in their life. Yeah. yeah. When you got a guy like Amin, um, there's no bullshit in his life. It's just another challenge. And I'm going to, I'm going to overcome it. Yeah. yeah. You know, and that mindset to me, those are the kinds of people that I'm the most attracted to. Yeah, yeah. You know, Amin, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, E-Man. Hopefully you'll have her on the podcast someday. You know, here she moves, you know, escapes an arranged marriage, has a tough childhood, escapes an arranged marriage, moves to the United States, ends up homeless, literally homeless, um, in a tent, um, working as a day laborer behind a 7-Eleven and then moving up, you know, from there to finally becoming a firefighter and a professional MMA athlete where, you know, sh- she beat two of um, uh, females who were uh, on tough. You know, she beat two of them um, on their way up to that level. She never, you know, by the time... Uh, that was an option. She had kids and she had made the decisions that you, Chad, had made, which was, okay, I'm going to refocus my energy. And now she is a coach, part-time competitor, does an occasional jujitsu tournament or a CrossFit competition. Uh, but, you know, but again, just to, you know, she is not a victim. And when people sit there, you know, like she'll, you know, a lot of times these ladies will form these little social groups, right? And, uh, you know, they invite her to come train. And she's like, no, because I don't want to sit there and gossip about yeah. all the problems. Yeah. She's like, I just want to get onto the mat and train. When I'm training, this is my this is my fun time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I am totally attracted to people like that. You know, the people in this room, um, you know, I think most of the people that, that, that come to Capitol um, and the stories that you hear, like from uh, Amin, on this podcast or E-Man, uh, you know, just that's what does it for me. Now, one question I have for the both of you, uh, for the both of you guys uh, owning and operating locations, going back to that, going, revisiting that negativity, that negativity real quick. Where do you draw the line at of allowing those people to fizzle out on their own because they have been either rejected from the rest of the group because everybody else picked up on their bullshit. So they're just like, all right, we're not going to deal with it. Or where do you step in and be like, Hey, I have to remove this shit mm-hmm. myself ASAP yeah. before it causes, you know, before they cause larger problems. Yeah. Where do you draw with both of you? Where do you draw the line that into letting shit happen naturally? Or are you having to step in and be like, Hey, 
I don't want you. I don't. I don't want your business anymore. Like you can leave today. Yeah. I. I mean, I've probably experienced it far less than Jeremy has. Mm-hmm. So I'll hop in there first. So I've only had one person where it came to the point where if he had a showing up the next day, I was gonna have to kick him out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know who it is. He came to the promotion ceremony that one time and yeah. had the issues with harassing women. Um, so if he had a showing up the next day, we would have had to kick him out. But luckily for us, he ended up moving away, and I didn't have to deal with it. Um, at least not directly. Um, but what I have, at least what I have observed beyond that throughout the years is that negative people don't thrive in positive environments. Mm-hmm. So when they come, and this is a very highly positive environment, the people who have stayed here throughout the years and the people who, you know, move away and then come back and, and find places like this or come back and, and, and join us again, they're all positive people. Um, that that dig the environment that that dig you know what we're what we're teaching and maybe in the funny thing is even if you have a positive person who wants to learn something that we're not teaching they make that happen um, they provide the resources to make that happen or they voice their concerns in a positive way to motivate the coaches to move in that direction or or so so change and an improvement is easy to make when it's coming from that positive person so when you have a negative person. Or, you know, somebody who is very, they feel like everything has to be done for them, which I would still put them in that negative category because mm-hmm. you're living the negative minds, uh, negative life. Um, they, 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 they can't thrive. They don't have anybody to bounce these negative ideas off of. So they end up leaving at the end of the day. Um, it's just, like you said, though, it becomes a matter of, you know, how soon do you have to push them out or how do you push them out? Like I said, luckily for me, it it happened. The universe did it for me. Get it. <laughs> but they, they don't survive anyway. They don't. Um, but unlike you, I've had to ask a number of people over the years to leave. Um, and it will happen to you, too. Where Eventually. You're just going to have to tell a person that they have to go. And, um, and at what point is that? Well, first, you know, there's a lot of times when, when I have to ask a person to leave, there's... I already have, I've had a, like a hunch that mm-hmm. this person is unhappy. It's like, it goes back to sometimes just the vibe, you know, like, so there's, there's a hunch there that there's something wrong, but I don't like to act on hunches yeah. because then you end up creating self-fulfilling prophecies where there was nothing wrong, but I created the problem. Yeah. So, but when, when my line is when I find out, okay, this person is speaking poorly about coaches, students, their experience, or is undermining or sabotaging um, the high morale that typically, you know, um, permeates the capital experience. When that happens, it's now I have to have that conversation where, hey, listen, you know, either you have to change or you have to leave. Um, Or I just might say it's time to leave. Mm -hmm. So, um, and it has, it has popped up every now and then, you know, and I don't wish these people poor, you know, I don't, I don't, no, not at all. you know, yeah. um, you know, I'm not trying to make it a personal thing. I'm just trying to make sure that the tribe, you know, can still enjoy their experience. Yeah. Actually, um, I kind of, I'm kind of frustrated with myself because we've had this happen recently where I've had a hunch um, but 
nobody, you know, but again, it was just a hunch. Well, with um, a particular person's departure, all of a sudden, I've got four people who are now back on the map because they've expressed their, hmm. their, you know, they didn't, they didn't, they left those training sessions because of this person. Hmm. So it's like, wow, you know, I wish I had kind of was able to pick up on it or act on this sooner because yeah. their experiences were definitely tainted yeah. in a negative direction. But, um, but now they're back. So, which is great. Yeah, sometimes it's hard to make that that right decision. We we I we did have well, I wouldn't say we excuse somebody. We had to replace a coach once, and again, not that she was a bad coach or anything. It just didn't fit, mm -hmm. and so it was it was a hard decision to make. Um, and it probably was not made in the right manner or the best manner. Could, could have been done better, but you know it wasn't the right fit. And as soon as the new coach came in to replace her our program, that, that training session immediately blew up. You know, more people are coming in on the map, more people are curious, people are dropping by, and it, it's just the morale and everything. You yeah. see you see it improve. Um, you know, everybody is not the right fit. Yeah. You know, it doesn't mean that you're a bad person. That person's a bad person. doesn't mean that I'm a bad person. It's just not the right fit. So it's hard to make that decision sometimes, so we pussyfoot around it. But then when the decision is made and after you get through the self-loathing and get through, you know, scrolling through Instagram and seeing those passive aggressive messages and shit. And then you see more people coming on the mat and the positivity coming back. All right. Cool. Yeah, the, All right. It was the, the right decision. The data will speak for itself. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, it's, it's particularly hard because of kind of get, going back to hardwiring. Like I'm hardwired not to be the competitor that is for me. I'm hardwired to build a team to build morale and like, that's kind of what gets me excited. Um, and so, you know, when that does happen, you know, it's like, you know, it's something that I don't enjoy. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Where I do know a couple of other people who are like, okay, let's do it. Let's just business. Lab. Let's get this person out of here. <laughs> and they're all about it. Yeah. Yeah, man. It sucks. It sucks though. Like you never, you, gotta, you never got to have an enforcer. Yes. I love them when the enforcer can just fix the problem. When it is yeah. just somebody who is just like going too hard and they're, they're, they're smashing people that are smaller mm. than them. So you throw in the big guy, man, we just got this big muscle head motherfucker from <laughs> training with us in jujitsu and he's crushing all types of people. And like, he is definitely being developed to be our enforcer um but, so i can i can step back off of it a little bit <laughs> but it, it's so easy it's, it's it's fun when things can be fixed just that way just yeah. nice and physical and you correct that problem we're good to go it sucks it sucks having to be that that bad guy for the moment um but it does. but it's you know like we said it's, it's necessary everything is not for everybody um, so sometimes you have to know when to when to step up yeah. and, and say like, something. It's yeah. life. Shit happens. Yeah, yeah. shit happens. <laughs> yeah. So, man, that's awesome. Um, so speaking of scrolling through Instagram, I just like to say that I was scrolling through your posts on Facebook, Jeremy, and I saw that in preparation for this show, you made a steak. <laughs> <laughs> and then looking at this steak, I have put you in the category of a pepper monkey. Because that's true. It's true. <laughs> because you peppered the fuck out of that steak. Man. It is true. <laughs> so how did it turn out? What was the process? All right. So <laughs> I, it's, I am very traditional. Salt and pepper. That's what I like. 
you know, um, everything fancy is something that, that, that's going to go into the salad or, you know, a side dish. But the steak itself, salt, pepper. But I can tell you this. So uh, I bought a Weber years ago. And what an amazing grill. You know, I mean, I used it all the time until I bought my Traeger. Now, I might have touched the Weber in the last three years, maybe three times. Mm. So here is the way I like my steak is I get the Traeger going and I cook it at a low temperature. So not a high temperature. Now I still try to get it medium. I, you know, I don't want it to be um, to be well done, but you know, I'll cook my steak twenty twenty five minutes at a low temperature, mm-hmm. and I get the best results. And the same thing with other foods too. Uh, anytime I've ever tried to cook fish on the stove, you know, it's it's okay um, on the on the Weber. It's it way too hot and fish sticks. Um, but trout is my other favorite thing. I just absolutely love it, and you put that thing on the on the um, the Traeger, and you cook it at a relative low temperature, and it's it's just mouth watering. It's unbelievable. So that is my way of cooking steak, and actually, it's my way of cooking everything. I probably fire that thing up two three times a week, and if it wasn't for my wife, I'd be firing that thing up seven times. A week. <laughs> So now you're blaming your your pepper monkeyness on your wife. <laughs> I'm telling Kathy next time I see it. I'm telling. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm the only uh, non baller in this room that doesn't have a Traeger, and I. Uh, oh, I'm not in that camp yeah. either. You, but you have a smoker. What type of smoker do you have? It's like a built well, some Lowe's specialist. Yeah. It's not super fancy by yeah. any means. And Jamal cooks on a little baby hibachi, but it works for him because he's so small anyway. <laughs> you will know it's not small, motherfucker. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go there. It's fine. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that's great. As a matter of fact, I think I'm going to get a steak after this episode is done. All right, man. I think uh, I think we hit everything that we want to hit. Did you have any um, last little parting notes that you might want to leave for us? can't think of anything um you know just just the whole idea of jujitsu is a journey uh martial arts all the martial arts are journeys right and uh and it's a you know i just really enjoy like talk about enabling like this right here is 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 that you know what i'm saying like for me um you guys had a vision wanted to do something and the fact that i was able on some small part to make that thing happen it makes me super happy and super proud you know like i just love that feeling so being in this room today kind of experiencing this part of your journey knowing that i had a small part in it um that 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 made it possible um it just makes me like that's what i live for that that's what i that that's what drives me so yeah. that's awesome, man. And you can rest assured that it also has a trickle down effect that this whole community, man, the guys who are invested, the guys and girls who are invested in the community who decide to give back and the people who are here 
who are training, you know, it's a, it's a trickle down effect. Everybody's helping each other. Everybody is, you know, taking the experiences that they get here out of it. They're bringing it back to their community. And people are doing so much more than just coming here and trying to, you know, win the next medal, win the next trophy. It, it has become so much more to the point where, you know, I'll travel all the way up to New York, Pennsylvania, and people will mention you and Capital, you know, Many times wherever I end up, which is freaking awesome, that it is more than just a gym. I mean, it's a badass gym, but it's more than that. So we appreciate you and everything that you've done for this community. Absolutely. Um, got anything for us, Ma? Uh, Aggie Pride forever. Oh my God! Fuck Howard. <laughs> even though I, I was, so, even though I have some friends up here who have attended Howard, you all are proud. This is, not, it's, this it's, is not the fight yeah, philosophy it's podcast. This is friends. the philosophers who fight podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's had so, some friends. As long, long as you friends. don't associate with Chad Malone, you're okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I love all y'all. Yeah. All right, y'all. So. If y'all have been following us on Instagram and uh, Facebook, you see that we have our T-shirts. And then the T-shirts are pretty damn awesome. Fight Philosophy branded on the front, and it has our sponsors and supporters on the back. If you want one of these T-shirts, they're for sale, number one. That's awesome. If you buy one, the, trust that the the money is helping produce this show. It helps us add to it, you know. This is how we've got better sound quality. This is how we are able to get uh, different guests in. Uh, we'll be able to travel to different shows and feature some of the local local fighters and competitors. So that's where the T-shirt money is going to. Um, but if you just want to rep us and you want to come up on a shirt, here's what you can do. You can leave us a review, share it, share us, leave us a review, leave us some stars, and between... The release of this episode and the following episode, so we'll say the end of April, we will pick a winner and we'll get in contact with you. You'll tell us your short size and we'll mail one to you. That's all you got to do. Keep listening to the show. If you like us, review us, share us, follow us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, all those things. Twitter, we have that too. Um, of course, you can listen to us on any of your podcasting uh, media. We're out there. We're in the streets. So, <laughs> so, so keep listening to us. Thank you all for coming on. If you all have any uh, ideas for future episodes, anything you want us to talk about, anybody you want us to have on the show, let us know. We'll take any and all suggestions. But if you got some bullshit, keep it to yourself. Appreciate y'all. Catch y'all next time. Peace. <laughs>